Are you ready, Rove? I love that. That's like, you know, a playoff. Are you ready, Hove? Well, that means I am Jay-Z and you're Beyonce. Because Beyonce says, you know, she asks Hove if he's ready. So now you're asking me if I'm ready. Like, I'm Rove. So, I don't mind being... I'm Rove Z. And I'll be Beyonce. That's fine. Oh. <laughs> Beyonce? I will be Beyonce, yes. If that's what it takes. Uh, okay. Rove Z and Beyonce. I, I, I like that. <laughs> I figured you would. You, you, yeah, you would. I, I don't, I don't mind being Beyonce-esque. Um, some people have compared me. That's not true. I'm lying. It's a big lie. No one has compared me to Beyonce. I was going to say, because she has talent. That is a hurtful statement. <laughs> and I'm going to let that slide. Um, the irony is that I'm the Sagittarius and you're the Virgo, so in essence, you should be the Beyonce and I should be the Jay-Z, uh, you know, if we're talking songs. That's so funny. That is so funny. I know. <laughs> I didn't even realize it until you just said that. Yeah. But But nonetheless, you're Rove Z and I'm Beyonce. And that's I usually wear the pants. That's what it is. And I'll wear <laughs> the uh, beautiful mm. yellow dress like lemonade. And that's it. <laughs> the fact that you chose the dress is sending me. And you chose the specific dress is what's sending me higher. It's but, you know. It's an iconic fit. I yeah, lie. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here to support whatever it is for you. Thank you so much, friend. Sophisticated ignorance. You slide it right in, didn't you? Nope, don't do that. Skirt, skirt. Queen of the block. I am evolving, okay? All right, here we go again. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Sophisticated Ignorance. Welcome, welcome. I am Vixen J. I'm R to the OV. As you already know. And we are <laughs> back with another week of shenanigans and insight and uh, positive energy. The, the word of the day is positive energy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I uh, hope you all are doing well out there. Sprinkle um, it all on me. Yes. Sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Uh, you know, how are you doing these days, Rolf? I'm doing swell. I'm having a spectacular time. Everything is just going well in my life. And I feel great gotcha gotcha thank you so how are much. you feeling you know what i'm feeling <laughs> <laughs> i am feeling so much um one of those feelings is just a good go go to attitude you know um that's what i'm feeling these days just i am just ready to go <laughs> Oh man, I mean, sometimes I wish you guys could hear our combos before we record because, whew, um, you, y'all would think, what is wrong with these two? No, um, I'm okay, I'm doing great, I'm, I'm here, I'm surviving another day, another week in the life, and um, yeah, that is it. You know, I'm just trying to make each day better than the last. That's, that's all you can do. That's all I am planning to do. Good. Um, anything exciting that's happened lately for you? Any, anything exciting? 
<laughs> okay, so you heard me. You just <laughs> wanted to answer. Cool. Cool, no. cool. No, I promise. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> what is happening? Okay, let's try again. Anything exciting for you lately? Um, you know, it's the regular, same old day-to-day. -day. All right. <laughs> let's just get started. <laughs> Clearly, not much to share. Um, <laughs> woo! All right. I'm hot. Yikes. Um, well, you know, on my end, a sense of excitement. Uh, oof. Actually, I don't think I have much to share myself. All right, that was a waste of time. I think my life is a little bit more exciting than yours, though. Not a contest, but you're right. Ooh. No, I think you're right. I, I, I mean, I try to live life simply. Lack of drama, you know? I mean, my life's not filled with drama. Like, what do I do? I go to conferences, and I try to be the best person that I can be. That's all. Conferences sounds fun. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that's fine. I don't know yet, but we'll see, you know. I have an up-and-coming surgical conference that I'm going to in the lovely city of Las Vegas. Um... It is a foot and ankle surgical conference, so wish me luck. I will be there trying to network and build rapport and have good branding strategies, you know, just moving forward with my own personal career and, you know, just try to make a way for, you know, future black podiatrists because there are so few of us out here mm. and we are important, okay? I, if I have not said so before, Roby, I really want to congratulate you for taking more leadership roles in your career <laughs> and, in, you. and in other aspects of life. Thank you. I, I really want to commend you. That's really, it's really dope though, for real. Um, the fact that you're, you're being put in positions where you are, you know, not really, I don't want to say you're like the token because there's other black podiatrists like yourself, mm -hmm. but you're one that is being put in positions to take charge. I think that's really dope. So I want to congratulate you on that. Thank you. And there's a bunch, you know, if you go on Instagram, TikTok, you know, you can follow a whole bunch of us young ones. We're trying to make it, you know, a big deal because if you don't have your feet, you really can't walk forward in life. Get it? Mm, yes. Get it? I, I, I got Get it. it? I got it. The moment you said walk. <laughs> <laughs> But no, seriously, sometimes even though, you know, you might be placed in a leadership role, you know, you're often, you know, because someone like me, you know, I would always feel like, you know, I'm unheard or invisible. Mm -hmm. um, what I say uh, doesn't mean much until like my counterpart says it. And, you know, I have to go through that sometimes. But, you know, I know someone who does not look like me, it's not in a position where I am. They probably will never feel as though they can achieve their own goals. So if I have to be that person to say, hey, you can, if I can do it, you can do it, then so be it. I'll be the sacrifice. Right. Hallelujah. And it sounds like these days you're trying to step it up. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? The, the steps? Cause the it works for podiatrists oh, only, right. I think. Right. <laughs> but it was cute. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yes, I'm glad that you're making those strides. That's oh nope, that's a ah, that was an indirect joke. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> no, but that so, was a good one. but yes, no, I am glad that you are making the necessary moves in your career. That's what's up. Uh, me myself, I am focusing on something similar. Uh, I am working on. Uh, eventually realigning my goals when it comes to my video career and just figuring out what's the next steps, making sure the next move is the best move. And that's for everybody out there listening. Making sure your next move is the best move. I so, that. Yeah, you want to get into our topic today? You know, start chizzadding about, you know, the good old stuff. I'm ready when you are. I'm ready when you are. How hey, about, let's go. How about you uh, introduce our topic today? Okay, sounds good, Vixie. So we're going to talk about expressing ourselves. Um, we're going to look at uh, black art, literature, and fashion, and talk about different artists and how um, things have gone about in white America, and how does black art play a part in our lives today. Hmm. Now, what is your relationship with black art? I have absolutely no relationship with black art. <laughs> So why are you, but what, I am. Well, why are you I am. I am interested because um, I know when we were younger. Well, I don't know about you um, in your school, but in my school, um, art and literature was like supplemental classes. Like they would push forth um, our math, our health, our science. You know, English. But um, most times, growing up, the when I could express myself in art, I could either do it as an elective or during a summer course, like um, like summer youth. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to, you know, sculpt and build and stain glass. And I was interested in those things, but they weren't offered in schools. And of course, if you didn't go to like a specialized art school, you weren't um, afforded those type of um, opportunities to do so. So if you didn't have like an interest in sculpting or design, fashion, painting in that regards, you know, because I was always science based, like straight and narrow. I'm more interested into the arts and especially when they did school trips, you know, I really didn't know much. You know, we didn't have Google. We had encyclopedias back in the day and I wasn't combing through an encyclopedia (laughs) so I could quickly look and see who this artist is, where they come from, what they're actually saying and what is their standpoint on on their artistic view. So this is something that I wanted to explore. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't talk about. We don't we don't talk about the arts and I don't think it's as appreciated as other aspects like, you know, music or, you know, any type of artistry out there. Right. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, for me, fortunately, I've been able to be, I, fortunately for me, I've been able to be in, exposed to a lot of black artists, uh, especially here in New York. Uh, you know, shout outs to, <laughs> shout outs to my friend Aaron. Uh, he is actually my ex-girlfriend's brother and we still have a very nice relationship. But on top of that, that is awesome. Um, he used to, he used to own, or I mean, he's affiliated with a gallery space that he owns or used to own. I don't know the status of it. You know, pandemic, quarantine, things have changed. But mm-hmm. um, through him, I was able to meet a lot of black artists um, in different, you know, mediums like sculptures and photography and other mixed art. And I had an appreciation. I started building an appreciation 
for these artists and how they were able to express themselves and the things that they were able to create and to the point where I also supported their art and I actually have some of their pieces in my um, in my apartment Ooh. right now. So, I mean, for me, black art has been something that I, well, art in general, you know, um, has been something that I've always been drawn to in a sense of creativity. So uh-huh. uh, meeting these black artists and being able to support their work and, you know, having the opportunity to like say like oh i've met this person i know them and hopefully somewhere down the line their art is appreciated to the point where it's valuable you know um right at a point i've told myself i was like a junior art collector uh and yeah it was really cool to like know that you know support black art and stuff like that but uh i feel like there's a lot of and we probably see a lot of these artists on like social media you know that have their own thing uh, and yeah, I think it's really cool to see that, you know, especially for a medium that has been, uh, I would say, a mix of whitewashed, but also guarded in the past, um, you know, especially when it comes to like fine art, right? You hear a lot right. about fine art. Fine art was typically in the past um, only catered to, you know, white audiences or white creators, Right. And eventually over time, you know, black artists would come into play and just start, you know, contributing their own works into fine art and it'd be under that category. So it took a long time for that to happen. But I think especially with, you know, like the Harlem Renaissance and all these other periods where, you know, black artists were able to like shine. That's when things slowly started to change. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a great shift. I, I believe so. I know that, um, especially with like Black Power movements and with Black Panther, that was a, a big um, movement with Black art, and um, it also like showcased the way of like disrupting, I guess, the white view of fine arts in in white America. You know, just showing Black Black people's um, ideas and narratives and. Um, just the way uh, the system just oppresses, you know, there's, there's always a way that the system will find a way to oppress whatever out, outlet uh, a black person can get into. And, you know, sometimes, you know, our creators, um, they go, they express it through, like you said, sculpting, painting, um, even dancing, you know, and trying to change the aesthetic around what art really is and just portray black culture and showcasing black pride that has also been a way that we can like reauthorize our authentic selves. Yeah, I agree. Um, I When you were mentioning that, I actually thought of an artist that I saw um, in the Brooklyn Museum. What, in fact, what's the last time you've been to a museum, Ruth? Oh, whew. <sighs> the last time I've been to a museum. I want to say I went to MoMA in 2006 for like a, a function though. It wasn't even for my own self reflection or to go look at art pieces per se. It was just because I had to go to an event there. But the last time I really, really went for like an educational purpose. Or just a personal even, like, I want to see the art. <laughs> Junior high? I'm yeah. Sorry? No, no, no. I'm lying to you. My mentor and I went to a piece in downtown Brooklyn. It was a um, 
a new artist coming up. Um, he did a lot of photography and um, oil paintings. Mm-hmm. And he had a workshop. I, I forgot where. It was somewhere on Bedford Avenue. But that was the last time. I want to say that's like 2011. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, some Sometime in this decade. <laughs> yeah. It, see, and that's the thing. That's why I really wanted to talk to, to touch about this topic. Well, I don't know about, I, I know that you're very artistic and you're very creative. And me, myself, I don't find myself drawn to that because I don't think that I'm as creative. So I, I don't want to say I neglect, but I just turn a blind eye towards the artistic side of me. And I know that I'm not the only person who also knows that because there's a lot of people who are quote unquote ignorant to what actually black art and creativeness is, you know, mm-hmm. if it's not for Instagram or TikTok. A lot of people, you know, there's this one guy, I don't know his name, but excuse me, he goes and he does um, paintings of different um, artists like Kobe and then he just does it like blindly and that's like, oh my God, it's cool, it's cool momentarily and they move on, you know, they won't go and look to see if he does any showcases or if there's any pieces that he has for sale, you know, there's not uh, an investment in that. So I wanted to reach out on that platform and say, hey, maybe we should take a second look and you know, bring up our artists around ourselves, you know? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, in that regard, it's like, you know, when it comes to online, I mean, social media and all these platforms are great ways for, you know, young black artists or people in today's era to share their work, right? But then I guess to your point is like, all right, where, where do we take that step further? Right. Right. Because it's like, all right, you see an art piece or you see some work. And, you know, I mean, right now we have a lot of people who are like digital artists who are like graphic designers, for example. Right. They design stuff that are really cool and might go viral. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, look at that person do that art piece on like Kobe, for example, or someone else. And then is it a matter of like, oh, OK, it gets a whole bunch of reshares and likes. But are people actually supporting the work? Some people do. Other people don't. They're just like, oh, this is real cool. Keep it pushing. Um, you know, I haven't bought Personally, I haven't bought any work from black artists in a while. But um, when I asked you about the museum thing, I was actually thinking about um, Kahinde Wiley. Have you heard of him? No. Enlighten me. So Kahinde Wiley is an artist who has, um, his work has recently been, you know, showcased in like Brooklyn Museum and other places. But you've probably seen his work before where he takes uh, black figures and he... He takes black figures uh, from either history or he takes black figures like, you know, everyday people and he uh, imposes them in like historical like environments. Right. So, for example, like he had a piece where he had like um, it was like uh, an image of like Napoleon on his horse. But instead of Napoleon, it would be like a black guy. You know, okay. with like a jersey gotcha. on and, and like Tim's and stuff like that. And kind of like playing around with that notion of, you know, black figures or black people in historical, quote unquote, fine art environments. So that's what he's famously known for. Uh, he's done pieces with Barack Obama. He's done pieces with some other people. So like if you search for him, like his art is like really, really dope. And he's been able to like capture a lot of people. I think he actually, because um, I think there was one time I went to the museum um, when his exhibit was happening and he and I think he did a piece on like I have a guy from high school that I know and he's like a model and all this stuff I think he was in one of his ex- exhibitions too which is pretty cool 
But all that to say, uh, yeah, Kahinde Riley's like an example of one of these modern artists who's able to like take his work and you know it's transcended you know in a lot of in a lot of different mediums like his work has been on TV, his work has been in museums and other places. So you know, um, in the sense of celebrating you know these type of artists and how they're supported, uh, it, I think it comes down to the exposure of it, but also how people, you know, consume it and support it either monetarily or just by, you know, appreciating that there are artists out there like him and others that really, you know, need their shine. So that's important. Yeah, that, that's definitely important because, um, I, I did see one of his, um, images like, like as you described before. And to me that, that just translate into, that there are areas of artwork that black people are often representing through their works, you know, whether it's through sculpture, photography, um, and painting. And that's where the aesthetic of our identity lies, you know, because uh, in this day and age, everything is, is visual now, like mm -hmm. now it's visual. And of course, this is where a lot of, you know, quote unquote, other people get their ideas from. So having um, our stuff on display gives us a sense of ownership. You know, it produces um, a lot of political undertones to it. It produces a lot of freedom, a lot of expression, a lot of, you know, just getting out about social justice. You know, I saw a piece with um, with Junior, the poor boy who um, was attacked in the Bronx and mm. they displayed his piece, you know, works of graffiti in that aspect. Again, it was symbolic of a social injustice. And, you know, these are the things that we look at and say, oh, wow, it's, it's so cool. But, you know, we don't really know much more about it than it's just being cool. Well, for me, for me, I just know that it's, it's, it's being cool, but I don't know the implications behind it. You know, the, 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 the type of um, political message that needs to be displayed. Um, how does this represent us as a community? Um, how's the aesthetic going to be towards white America? You know, those are the things that I, I think about whenever I see, you know, an artist trying to express themselves, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, you know, to your point, it, 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 the different types of ways, because right now we're just talking about visual art, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you also mentioned uh, like literature and fashion, like these are all different ways that we uh, express ourselves. And, you know, I think coming down to the intention of, you know, why we create what we create and what type of audience it's for. I think the audience conversation is actually really important because for me, it's, you know, talking from a personal level, when it comes to my video work, uh, you know, I'm appealing to a wide audience but I focus, most of my subjects are like, you know, black people, right? So mm -hmm. I expect or I know that, you know, when it comes to like my black audience, lack of a better term, when it, when it comes to people who I know, you know, they're going to receive it and appreciate it more um, than possibly my white audience. I don't know if that makes any sense. But, yeah, it does. Um, like, for example, you know, there was one time one of my homeboys was checking out my work and he was like, yo, I love the way that you... Um, capture black women and I really think it's really cool how you're able to like work with them and show them in a different light and I never thought of my work that way you know um, I recognize that yes I happen to work with a lot of black women but um, I guess in the sense of how he perceives it 
is like, oh, that's something that's really cool. While somebody who may not be seeing it that way, just like, okay, great video work or great work and stuff like that. So being able to recognize that and being able to uh, express that in a way, you know, especially with you being the viewer, right? Right. And I, I think between me and you, we have like a interesting perspective, like me being more creative in the sense of like the type of work I do versus you who is not in a creative space or creative industry or whatever the case would be, but you're still able to value and appreciate art, right? We come right. from two different perspectives, but we both understand the importance of people being able to express themselves through these ways and appreciate it, right? Yep. Um, so I want to actually read a excerpt from uh, the article here from For Harriet, and the title of it is called The Trouble with Calling It Black Art. Which after with actually reading that title um, made me think about, you know, we, I mean, I was just saying black art just now, but I'm now rethinking, like, why is that problematic or why is that a probably, you know, something that we should reconsider? So I just want to read this quick excerpt. Uh, she says here, historically, black artists have been marginalized for various reasons, racism, subjectivity, education. Segregation, fetishism, and lack of cultural history and acknowledgement have added to the misunderstanding of art by African Americans for the majority of art history in the United States. The mixing of mainstream and minority cultures were not permitted until after segregation, at least when it came to visual arts. When black artists were included in the cultural conversations, critics denounced their work, limiting it to adjectives such as barbaric or primitive because it did not mimic the formalist or structuralist paradigms of European or American periods. Many crit critics refused to acknowledge the various forms of art making that were new and unfamiliar to them. Diaspora experiences were sometimes lumped into black art experiences, mistaking the influences to be homogenous. Mm. So I think that's kind of similar to what we were just talking about in that, you know, um, you know, black art was not accepted into the mainstream because when it came to fine art, it was always seen from like a Eurocentric lens, right? Right. You know, when you talk about, oh, you know, name some of the fine artists in, you know, history. You think about Michelangelo or, uh, yeah. you know, or Picasso, you know, Picasso or, you know, you know. or all these other people that have been <laughs> regurgitated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's been beating in our heads since we were young. Like Right. And, and it's not to denounce their work is good or not good, but when it comes to you know, mentioning, you know, some of the new artists that happen to be black in later times, right? It's not labeled as fine art. It's just labeled as black art, right? right. So it separates it separates the conversation. And now it's like, all right, there's fine art and then there's black art. And black art, you know, obviously can't be fine because it's in its own category. And that's not right. the way it should be. You know, when we talk about these artists, we should be mentioning, you know, newer people that are in the scene and... You know, and then it, unfortunately, with art being subjective, it's hard. Well, I mean, for us, you know, we recognize what's good art and whatever. But for the art world, it's hard to um, categorize what what defines fine art, quote unquote, right? Right. Because there's so much factors and stuff like that. It's like obviously, you know, new artists today don't have to create art or pieces like back in the past. Whereas, like, what defines fine art what does that mean and unfortunately the gatekeepers to that are all 
majority homogenous white people, you know what I'm saying? That's true. Who are creating that narrative. So now, I mean, I think things are better now, but it's like, you know, as us as, us as a culture, should we, like, value our art and not even, you know, rely on these type of critics? It's kind of similar to um, Oscar So Black. You know, Oscar So White, I meant. Um, that whole notion of, all right, we have these award shows that award, you know, different people based on your acting and movies or whatever. And then when, you know, the, the most of the winners are all kind of homogenous in a sense. And we feel like, yo, well, you know, there's a lot of black people who have created good stuff, even better than what the critics say. Do we separate yeah. ourselves and say, hey, all right, you know, Oscars could have their bullshit, but we know that our, our stuff is good. Or do we want to be a part of the conversation so bad? Yeah, it's very similar to like the Oscars, the Grammys, and all these things. Like, you know, I think us as a... Or we could create our own criteria in regards to what defines black art for us. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's what BET should be for. But, well, I mean... I guess... guess BET or BET Plus? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully BET Plus. Maybe they're trying to get me with that money, but I'm not going on a tangent. Oh, well, <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, it's like we we work we work hard to be a part of the conversation, but at the same time, it's like when we are not included in the conversation, we feel marginalized, and then we feel like, oh, we need to pull out of it. But it's a, it's a catch twenty two, right? Because once again, we want to be recognized for our work, and we want to be looped under the you know, the general umbrella of what fine art is or whatever that looks like. But at the same time, with there, with this being such a Eurocentric angle to it, when we're not recognized, I was like, well, damn, they can't recognize what good shit is. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's not good. And other times yeah. it is. You know, we have to also recognize in that subjectivity, you know, just because it's black art, quote unquote, right, it doesn't automatically mean that it's good. Sometimes it's bad. And some people just have to hear that. Right? Sometimes you're the problem. Yep. Sometimes you're the problem. But when art is good, it in essence... It should it be sh- recognized. It should be recognized regardless of the face behind it. Yeah. Right? And, and once again, I think when people get snuffed, you know, I, I'm talking about award shows again, but when people get snuffed and all these things for what they produce, then it's like, well, what the hell? Like, who's who are these critics or who are these people who have created this lens of what is good art or what's not good art and how are they defining it and that's where things get kind of muddy but i feel it's like it's funny that you that. you you say that under the umbrella of white america but i remember this this goes back like maybe a couple of weeks ago i was just binge watching like a different world and of course you know whitley and um she got a um some job or internship, something at um, at a big art uh, gallery firm, you know, buying art pieces, looking out, scouting for works, whatever. And she found, she stumbled upon a black male who had a lot of creative talent and a lot of creative narratives, and she pushed for him. He, he was reluctant to show his works. You know, artists are very touchy about their work, but he was very lo- reluctant to show his work, but she finally got him to show his work. And it's funny that... Um, before the show was going to be previewed the, the next day, as his piece was up, the director of the art gallery came in, who was, I believe, a black man, yeah, on the show, um, decided that this artist's piece was not worthy because it displayed um, the community of a mother 
feeding um, her child in a drug-induced um, society. And that was a big uproar because, um, you know, everyone's black. Everyone's trying to support black, but then um, he, they removed his piece. They removed his piece, and Whitley was in a position where she either had to stand with the art gallery or stand with her beliefs. Because if she went against the art gallery, all the pieces from all the other artists, all the other black artists, sculptures, um, moving pieces would have been dismantled versus standing up for what is right. So that 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 tells me that not only the whole homogenous effect of white America, but within our own society, they, they're, they're still like some kind of disparity to say what's good enough to show within an art gallery. Like we cannot show that crack mothers are feeding crack babies in a crack community, but that was his reality that's what he decided to paint that's what he wanted to put on display but it was quieted by you know our own kind so that 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 strikes a chord with me in regards to not only are we fighting one battle with white america but we also fight in a battle within ourselves right and that kind of tr triggers back to the conversation we're having about uh black trauma and whether that's like to, like in the sense of like capturing our experiences right most most black art, in essence, captures a, a level of our experience, good and bad, right? And when it comes to the cases where, you know, that type of art or that type of expression is capturing the bad, some of us feel like, oh, that's too much, it's too obscene. Like, for example, right. um, oh, I remember, uh, I ha did you see, um, oh gosh, it was on Netflix uh, with... Noah Darling, the answer is. The answer is. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to oh help you, baby. Oh my gosh, Spike Lee joint. Um, do not do the not do the right thing. Oh baby, oh this is gonna bother me. Okay, so <laughs> the answer is Nola Darling is the. She's gotta have it, and she's gotta have it. That is the answer. Thank you so much. Tell her what she's watching. <laughs> so, she, and she's got to have it. For those of you who have watched the series on Netflix, um, I think it's the second season. Anyway, so Nola in the show is an artist, right? She's a black artist. She's an artist herself. She creates like pieces and stuff like that. And I remember that in like the finale, spoilers whatever who cares you should have watched it anyway um, <laughs> i didn't watch it but it's okay no no i mean this is not like a horrendous spoiler <laughs> but it's like all right <laughs> um at the end of the season you know she's creating art for an art show right and um you know so she finally like has her own art opening people come view the art and it's one particular piece that um, as the viewer, as you're watching the episode, you don't know what the piece is. But the characters in the show, it's like it's veiled by like a curtain or whatever. But people go into, like people go into the curtain, they see the art piece, and they, when they leave, they're like disgusted by it. And they're like, oh my gosh, no, I can't believe you made something like that. That's so obscene. That's so not okay. And people were really upset and outraged by what she made. At the end of the episode, you see the piece. And then you kind of like have your own interpretation. But that's the great thing about art where it's all interpretive, right? right? So everyone in the show, when they saw her piece, they were like upset and outraged and angry, right? But as a viewer, 
when you see it, you might have a different perspective or a different feeling or different opinion. But at the end of the day, that's the beauty of art, where it's like, it's not just one definition to it, right? There's various definitions. But depending on who views it, they might have their view. So it's never wrong, but I mean, depending on the intention of the artist and how they want their art to be portrayed or I guess consumed, that they might have their own means of like, all right, this is what I was intending with this piece, or this is what I was intending for this, you know, particular form of expression. And however you interpret it, that's on you, but this is what my intentions were. So I think that comes down to another example of what you were saying about that, you know, different world episode where the artist was expressing themselves and that was their intention, but someone took it completely different. And, right. you know, as I said, it comes down to that subjectivity. But we have to, I, we as a culture, we have to, we have to appreciate art in all its forms, even if we don't agree. And I know that's yeah. kind of contradictive to, once again, talking about black trauma. We were talking about the shows, you know, us and them and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it feels like a hypocrisy there where we're talking about, all right, we have to accept black art in all its forms. But at the same time, we're talking about, oh, I'm not watching them because it's too much. And we have a right. We have a right to not consume that type of content or consume that type of art because of its imagery and all these things. But at the end of the day, though I'm not supporting them in this in this example, doesn't mean that the the artist or the people who created that doesn't have the right to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, that's true. That's our that's our opinion. That's the way that we either support it or not support it. But that doesn't mean they don't have the right. And that's important to keep in mind, too. Yeah. Um, I know you touched on this earlier, but also um, in regards to just being artistic, I think a lot um, of fashion within the Black community has been, I want to say, in a sense, muted. Um, only because, um, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, too, um, just following big labels. Okay. Really. And just not taking the time and the effort to research a lot of black-owned, you know, like clothing, handbags, eyewear, hatwear, other types of wears. Because even in the past, I know that um, a lot of big-name brands um, just invoke a lot of blatant racism yeah. to black people. And we're still continuing to buy their fashion and they the the big labels never address any of the issues of inclusive inclusivity and diversity they just try to gloss over the fact by putting um some black you know models in their clothing yeah yeah in their models and and then just give us a lot of spread campaigns and vogue or whatever whatever magazine of choice at the time and just say, hey, we're not racist. We got we got black models wearing our clothes. And I know for a fact that I, I've been ignorant to it and just I've I've let let it go and say, oh no, I need that new Fendi. I need that new Chanel. Oh, I need that new Louis Vuitton and not even and, and because it's so it's 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 so overstimulant. There's like stimulus overload with like Instagram and social media that these are what the artists, well, social media artists are wearing everybody's going to want to wear not artists in the sense of making fashion. And I think that that's another topic that I wanted to touch on because I know I need to do my homework 
and not spend my coins just trying to get uh, the next uh, Chanel bag, you know? Um, how do you feel about black fashion and, you know, the display of artistry in today's society? Well, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of factors that come into play with that because when it comes to fashion, it's a mix of expressionism, but it's also a mix of stature, right? And that's kind of similar to what we talk about fine art, like what is fine art, right? And we think about all of these, you know, names that have been kind of regurgitated throughout history, but when it comes to fashion now, now it's a matter of status, right? So we have the Gucci's and the Louis and the Fendi's and the Rouse. Sorry, I'm sounding like Kanye. <laughs> Kanye always goes on a rant about different fashion labels. Like, yeah, I'm trying to And be look like, at him. He, he's, look at the Yeezy boots. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I have not owned a Yeezy. I don't even think me those will look either. right on my feet. Um, they look they like probably will. they look like soap dispensers to me personally. But but you see, for me, I don't I don't like the aesthetic behind it. Not to knock a black person down or the I just don't like the aesthetic about it. Once again, they're not because, just because it's a black owned person or someone that creates it doesn't mean it's automatically good. And that's okay. okay I can sit here and admit that the Yeezys look weird. They look weird to moi, but that does not but mean, you know, you someone You still got to wear it to be, yeah, to be in it. You got to be right. in it to win it. So to your point, like, I think it was um, Gucci, you know, like a couple years ago that had that really racist, you know, piece that was that looked like blackface or whatever the case would be. And they got flamed, similar to what you were talking about. Um, and, you know, once again, these labels have been associated with stature. So Louis Vuitton and Chanel and, uh-huh. you know, Birkins and all these things, they've been... And her- we Hermes. get FUBU, FUBU, Sean John, Rockaware, hey, and Baby no, but, Fat. Well, we've rocked, <laughs> but at a point we rocked those things. And mind you, that's like the past. But now we have Telfar, we have um, other brands. I mean, Telfar is just the main example I can think of right now. But there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people who are trying to shift from those like major like brands or those big brands that have been established for a while and they're trying to shift towards black owned brands. Um, I'd say mm-hmm. Telfar being a perfect example. Like every yeah. time there's a Telfar drop, I know that a lot of people, especially on Twitter, um, you know, a lot of people are like scabbering to like get the new things because one, they're supporting black business. Two, I mean, the bags actually do look good. And then three, it's like, once again, it's kind of like it's kind of similar to how we're treating like cryptocurrency these days. You know how like people are investing in a certain coin and then it ups the value. I think it's the same yeah. thing with these different you know brands such as like a Telfar and other things in that nation. Where it's like if we as a culture or community, you know, support these brands and uplift them, then it heightens or it increases its value. It increases its its importance or increases its merit in the ecosystem and now you know i don't know if people are putting like coach and telfar in the same conversation but people mm. are understanding the value yeah. of these things and now it's like hey you know when someone says i got my telfar you know what i'm saying it means something instead of being like oh what's telfar what does that mean you know what i mean yeah. so we've created that value right and it is up to us as the consumers right to create that value by supporting it by boasting it by all these things and i think that's beautiful you know what I mean? Yeah, me too. And we can do that with any any black-owned brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not because... I mean, yes, for us as a culture, it's because of black-owned, but also because it looks the fuck good. You know what I mean? And, yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's... 
you know, so going back to the conversation about like supporting black owned like brands and stuff like that, I mean, I know we could all, we could both do better, but I think it's really yeah. important that, you know, these. Get me a, a brand in Blackwood bag. <laughs> ah, see, that's another one. <laughs> and and I think the good part is that it's affordable, it's accessible. Yes. Because think about it in, in by comparison, most of those higher, higher name brand stuff, they're like, they're, it's more than three times rent. Right. I can't afford they're it. They're extremely expensive. And I think that in that regard, you know, it's probably been created that way to limit the types of people who are able to access it. Now, granted, yes, yep. if you save up enough money or something like that, then if you do get a bag like that, then you value it more because it's like, all right, I saved up half my life for this bag and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, That's horrible. Half my life for this one bag and oh my gosh, I'm going to treasure it forever. That's cool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we all get that. Something that is high in value, you're going to more than likely, you know, appreciate it more. But I think even for, you know, brands that are lower, I guess, low end in the sense of price range, I think people still value it just the same because, you know, it's, ex it's, the exclusivity of it all, it comes down to exclusivity, right? Regardless of price yeah. or whatever, like Telfar is a big brand now, or has been boasted now to a big brand because of its exclusive, exclusivity. I think that's what people appreciate, right? That there's a limited amount, not everyone can get it. And when you yeah. do get it, it's like, shit, yeah, I got mine. Like I secured a bag. <laughs> they secured a bag, sorry. I just, I <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? And that's important. And I think, and I love the way that people embrace that the exclusivity of it all. It's not to say that no one has access to it or it's like, oh, you have to like break the bank to get it. But it's the fact that, you know, people are coming back for these different drops and all these things, you know, Telfar or any other brand similar when it comes to fashion, like that's what makes it great. Like Fenty, another example, right? Like Fenty mm -hmm. drops or, you know, you have Ivy Park that drops and all these people are able to access it, granted in limited amount, but still, and when you do, when you do have the opportunity to like secure it, it's like, yo, I got my Ivy Park, I got my this, oh, I got, I got that. it, and now, like, I, you know, there's value to that, right? And, yeah. And I think that's uh, another good thing that you know makes, you know, fashion and art and stuff so important that we create the value. It's not being exactly. created by somebody. We else. set the bar, we set the criteria, we set the standards of what it is that we actually want you know, within our homes and what we want to wear, what we want to express, what we want to put on our walls in regards to any type of painting, what we want in our homes, our sculptures, you know, whatever we want, that's our narrative and we can have our voice in that, you know? And I think sometimes in that aspect, um, um, I want to say that a lot of people are reluctant to because you know that they take all of our culture <laughs> and, yeah. um, um, you know, it, it's funny because soon afterwards, we'll, we'll be investing in ourselves and in the black experience and in black culture so much that you may even see sales of other things starting to dwindle. Let me tell you, if Nicki Minaj came out with a uh, Teflar outfit or whatever, <laughs> that's a wrap. Like, it's a wrap. Over. We not She's not rocking Fendi no more. Now, Fendi stopped going down. Guess who's going to start buying more of his stuff not only us but everyone who wants to look like Nicki Minaj you see which are few I'm sure 
<laughs> but you you understand what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, between celebrities and all these people that influence these types of of pieces, um, you know that that is, um, you know, it, it's important. It's important that I guess we still have people in our culture who are able to promote these type of brands and you know bolster it, right? Especially depending uh-huh. on you know, I mean. Those type of influencers have the power to, you know, create those things or create that demand and people follow suit and stuff. But we ourselves have the power to like bolster it through social media and make it bigger than than it may be. And that's, you know, there's both sides to the coin. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so real quick, I actually want to uh, address this article uh, as well, uh, talking about 10 black visual artists who broke barriers. So I just want to briefly go over them. Some of you may know these names, others you may not, but you're going to learn something today, and that's great. Uh, so let's go through the list. Uh, do you mind reading the first name, Rovi? We could go back and forth. Um, I think you should go first. Okay. I'm going to assume because you don't have it pulled up, and that's fine. I'm, I'm pu- I am going to get it up. <laughs> um, um. <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> um... All right, so the first artist who a lot of you may know, uh, John Michael Basquiat, is a painter. Uh, I'm just going to read just a quick blurb, uh, not the whole thing. Um, Before Brooklyn native, uh, Basquiat became a world-renowned neo-expressionist painter. He was tagging subway trains under the graffiti artist named Samo. To make ends meet, he sold apparel and postcards featuring his street art. So, yes, for those of you who know Basquiat, you know, he's become... One of those artists that, you know, if you don't have, haven't seen his work, then, you know, where have you been? But, yeah, Basquiat has certainly <laughs> made a name for himself. He has. Uh, you know, from the 80s to now. And his pieces um, are going up there. Like, it says here, like, uh, Basquiat original was selling for 50000 a piece. Mood. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So who's our next person, Rove? Our next person is Edmonia Lewis, a sculptor. Um, she was born in 1844 in Greenbush, New York. Um, she found her way um, after graduating from Oberlin College to meet a sculptor and her mentor, um, Edward A. Brackett and abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. She set up her own studio. Um, she created plaster medallions a famous abolitionist started in nineteen in eighteen sixty, sorry, but it was um in eighteen sixty four, uh, a burst of Civil War hero, Colonel Robert Shaw, who led the African American fifty fourth Massachusetts Regiment, brought her national prominence. That's pretty cool. Um with funds she earned copies she made from the Shaw bus. She furthered her craft in Rome, sculpting neoclassical style where she was celebrated for her works like Arrow Market in 1866, a sculpture of a Native American father teaching his daughter how to shape an arrow, and Forever Free, 1867, a piece that emotionally captures two black slaves encountering freedom for the first time. Wow, that's big. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't even know she was like one of the first sculptors. That's actually pretty amazing. That was all the way back in the day. Look at that. Yeah. 
this next person is James Vanderzee, uh, not to be confused with James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. It was big cheesy. Uh, he's a photographer, um, but it says here. That's kind of like you. Born in 1886 in Massachusetts, James Vanderzee would make his way to Harlem, New York, as a celebrated photographer, not videographer, um, capturing middle-class black family life during the Harlem Renaissance. So I actually mentioned that earlier uh, when it comes to like the Harlem Renaissance being one of those periods where a lot of black artists uh, you know, really shined. Uh, so James Vanderbee, you know, James Van... James Van Der Zee is one of the examples of those type of people, <laughs> uh, which is, I think is pretty cool. That's dope. Definitely. I am going to go and talk about Jacob Lawrence. I, I see a, a pattern. A lot of uh, creators seem to come from either the North or New York. Mm -hmm. um, but um, Jacob Lawrence, he was a painter. Uh, he was raised in Harlem. He grew up attending museums and participating in art workshops. Um, he created his own personal style of modernism, depicting African-American life in vivid color. By the age of 25, he became nationally famous for his migration series in 1941. And after serving in World War II, produced the war series 1946 thus establishing him as the most famous black painter of the 20th century. Wow. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, there's a, yeah. I, as I said, I, I, like, I like that, you know, I mean, this particular list that we're looking at has a range of people from, like, all the way back in the day to, like, people who... Current, I mean, this right. is this is This person, what, 70, 80 some odd years ago? Like, that wasn't that long ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like this other person, for example, uh, Kara Walker, uh, who's a painter and silhouettist. And, um, yeah, Kara Walker always knew that she would be an artist, but she didn't know the controversy it would bring. Um, in 1994, she launched her career using the theme of black slavery expressed through violent imagery. Her black paper silhouette mural, Gone, a historical romance of a civil war, as it occurred between the dusky thighs of one young negress in her heart, was an instant Ooh. hit. That's a long title. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But while <laughs> many institutions around the world have been thrilled to exhibit her work, Walker has encountered her fair share of critics who interpret her creations uh -huh. as furthering black stereotypes. So this is, uh -huh. once again, this is what we're talking about, where similar to that, you know, different world episode, um, you know, certain people are going to see art, receive it a different way, and yeah. as a result... It's all subjective. Yeah. It's all subjective. But at the end of the day, it's like her art became well-known, and here she is, you know? And she's just one of the many examples that of people who are able to, like, you know, take their expressionism or take their art and, and get it in front of multiple audiences, you know? Um, and I think that's important, you know? And, and despite what lens or what perspective people see it from, people are, are consuming it, right? Yeah. And it's not just, it's not like an exclusive thing to where it's like, oh, okay, only white eyes can see this. It's like all eyes. Art is for every eye. It's not just for, you know, one particular group. 
So, um, you know, the fact that she was getting criticism and stuff is like, hey, sometimes hate is the best form of love. So, yeah, there's that. Yep, I agree. And that is important, kids. So what have you learned today, Romy? I, I, I mean, has your perspective of, of expressionism in these ways, have they, has it like uh, inspired you to like, you know, I guess look out for more of it or like change the way that you consume it? It definitely opened up my eyes to appreciate, you know, black artistry more. And I can go outside of my own comfort level and my own convention of what um, I do every day, day to day and do my homework and look into the respective fields of artistry and specifically with black artists and see how they want to express themselves and define their own, you know, narrative Mm -hmm. in today's society, you know, and it makes me feel more cultured knowing that, you know, I've done my homework and research to see who's out there and not only, you know, the older artists, but up and coming artists who are trying to make a stand, you know, within the black community and have their own narrative as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, especially for the new artists who are emerging, you know, I, I think we're, you know, especially now we're more accepting of like different narratives and perspectives and it's great that, you know, we have a lot of different forms, different people who are putting their art into ethos. And now we're redefining what fine art really means. I think that's cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But once again, like most things in society, uh, black people run this shit. So, I mean. Ooh, let me get a hallelujah. So that <laughs> is that. So, uh, do you want to go through a question? Of course. Okay, let's see who's the a-hole these days, shall we? All right. In our continuing <laughs> segment, uh, Am I the Hasshole? Brought to you by Reddit. Uh, <laughs> so, um, we have a question here. Uh, Am I the asshole for telling my roommate that I have other things to do and can't help her? Ooh. Someone that's too okay. busy for their roommate. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yes user this user says so i am 20 male and share rent with this girl let's call her b Ooh, all right so the person's using okay. to protect the innocent okay all right so this guy let's call him a so a shares rent with this girl b uh we're both in the same college and we oftentimes split the cost to go in the same uber which is most of our interactions we don't even talk in said uber we just do our own things Okay, so I've been studying for finals at the library. I pay for the Uber. I pay for the Uber alone because she was at the dorm, and I get a call from B. So B asked if I could come over. I asked her what she needed, and she said she was in severe pain and asked if I could come over. I asked if she could call a friend or something. She said her friends were in other colleges and that it would be a long drive. I told her that I have to study, and I told her to call a friend. Uh, call a friend uh, to get her an Uber herself and she groaned and hung up. Turns out it was a burst appendix and she called me later telling me how insensitive I was. I told her I had other things to do and that I had no idea it was a burst appendix and now I feel like an asshole for not trying to help her. So am I the asshole? 
Um, we're in the USA, so ambulances are expensive. Whew. Wowson. <sighs> so let's review. A and B are roommates in college. Uh, a and B tend to share things ever so often, like Ubers. It just so happened one day B was in a bind. B was in a bind and uh, was asking A for help, and A was way too busy with studying. And unfortunately, B had a burst appendix. And uh, so now uh, the question is, is B, is A the asshole for not uh, helping B in their time of need? Um, I think B is an asshole in the way he B, responded. B or A? Oh, A. B, a, B, a, B's a, roommate. a sorry. B had the a, burst appendix. Sorry. <laughs> A, yeah, because I was flabbergasted when she broke that news. Oh, she did. Anyway, A is an asshole for the response to her appendix. But if there was no appendix being burst on any type of medical emergency, he's not obligated. You know, it would be nice. The way that he laid the story out is that they're not even that tight. Like, there's not even a friendship. You know what I mean? It's, It's purely business. Um, so I don't think he's an asshole for that part, but he's an asshole for not even saying, I'm sorry that you had to go through this, but he just made it even worse by saying, Hey, I got things to do and not even acknowledge that homegirl had, um, to go through emergency surgery for appendicitis. Mm. Well, the thing is like, I mean, Okay, in this regard... I don't, I don't think he's a necessary asshole for saying, no, I'm not helping you out for the ride. No. No, but... Because they're not friends. In, in this case, I mean, if he wasn't... Let's say if he just wasn't available and said, hey, look, I wish I could help, but I just can't right now. I'm busy. Um, I, I just don't understand... Or I didn't hear in this letter, like, oh, he was inquiring, like, hey, what's wrong? You know, she just asked, mm-hmm. hey... Can I come over? He's like, nope, sorry, busy, can't do it. Right. So not even inquire like, hey, what's going on? Like, why do you want to come over? Um, I mean, she's. I mean, he does explain that she was in severe pain, and he was like, call somebody else. I ain't got the time for that. I was like, well, yikes. What about you? Well, friends? Question mark. I mean, th- that's what I'm saying. Uh, are the, it the, the relationship is sticky? I mean, there's, there's they're no roommates. Roommates doesn't automatically mean friends. Me friends, right? I mean, and I think because in the beginning when I was reading about like they just share Uber and they don't even talk, it's like okay, talk. That was yeah. weird. So initially I was thinking like why do you dynamic. why do you mention that? But now I realized okay, you know they they they're not really friends. They just have friends. To, they split Ubers and they they just happen to live. Split together. the rent. But end of the yeah, day, it's like the rent. that's it. Yeah, they're not. It's business. Friends. Yeah, business. It's just business, exactly. Just business. So it's not, I don't think it's an asshole, especially if there's no type of relationship um, underlying. However, he could have acknowledged after she said that she had a medical condition that um, he apologized that it happened to her, but, you know, he didn't have to be an asshole about that. But, you know, if I have a roommate and there is no type of relationship, and especially if, you know, we don't talk to each other in a shared Uber, <laughs> then for sure I'm not going to make myself available not knowing 
what the extent is. You know, we don't have that type of relationship, you know? Yeah. Well, so, at the end of the day, like, he found out that it was a burst appendix after the fact. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, she didn't know what was happening. She just knew she was in pain. So, unfortunately, when he found out, like, oh, it was a burst appendix, then he started to feel bad and, and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we could successfully say that, yeah, you were being an asshole, bro. I mean, like... Yeah, he could have responded better. Yeah, that could have been Roommate better. or not. I mean... He could have responded better. And if you realistically were just not available, then it would be different if it was just like, oh, hey, you know, wish I could help. I'm just not available right now. Sorry. But that wasn't even the case. It was just like, hey, call another person. Call another Uber friend of yours. I don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Uber friend. Yeah, so that was wild. But hey, if you have any other questions for us, please email us at sophigpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that is sophigpodcast at gmail.com. And we shall answer your questions respectfully. But don't be an asshole because then we're just, just going to flame you. And you're not going to feel good. Don't do that. All right. Okay, chameleon. <laughs> Just saying. That's how it works. All right. I, I, I agree. Okay. I agree. Fantastic. Well, gang, well, friends, well, listeners. Gang, gang. Gang, gang. This is the end of another episode of the podcast. Thank you all for listening. I hope you learned something new today. I hope you guys uh, could relate to the topic and share. Please share the episodes and listen make sure to check out the podcast on soundcloud apple podcasts uh spotify uh, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcast also make sure to follow the podcast on twitter and on instagram follow me and rovi on our social media platforms and check out our beautiful faces on youtube as well as well as online i'm all right. i'm average i'm average don't do that to yourself you're beautiful and Aww, I won't allow I receive it. I won't allow the self slander on this platform. Or any platform. Well my DMs my DMs is not being flooded or popping, so I mean you you have to put in some effort yourself. DMs are a two way street, you see. Wait, no no no. The DM's supposed to come to me. That's how I don't wait. What do you say? Are, are you sliding in DMs yourself? I'm ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I'm ashamed of rejection. We all are afraid or ashamed of rejection, but... Listen, if I see a hot guy on Instagram and I DM him and he curves me and I'm left on red, you know how I feel. You have, you have to keep shooting into the barrel until you catch something. Or all right. saying goes. Thank you for listening. Um... <laughs> Catch us on the flip side. Not the the topic. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about my dating life another episode. All right. Okay. Let's pin that for another time. Oh. That was a joke. Oh. You were joking. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. Oh, yikes. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. We'll catch y'all on the flip side. I literally said that like five seconds ago. Did we? Did you? I did. I did. Okay. Well, we, we will. We will. <laughs> as Roby said, we will catch you. Cause I'm hopeful. Yes, I am hopeful today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you say goodbye, Roby? Goodbye, Roby. You're annoying. All right. See y'all later.
Goodbye. Thanks for listening. No, for real. Bye. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Say goodbye, Ruby. <laughs>